Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Marco. Sean. It's, it's interesting when what you think is real is real not real or is it or is it right no no is it perspective is it uh is it what you want it to be so what reality is is what you think it is i don't know i'm convinced i live in a simulation to start with so (laughs) we're already having some kind of a some kind of an issues here but uh you know when we talk about these things i still feel like and i talk a lot about this on on my show but I still like we're talking about sci-fi. We're talking about the future. Then all of a sudden, you realize the future is now. And uh, it's not a book. <laughs> it's actually things that we're talking <laughs> not, about. Not a movie. Not a movie. It's not actually a, movie. a talk uh, that is about to happen at Black Hat USA 2023 in Las Vegas. So it's very much real. And, yes. uh, and I'm so excited to have this conversation that I already booked another conversation after this <laughs> this is how much i trusted this conversation the question is are you going to have that second conversation or is your evil twin going to have it my evil twin is going to have all that right one. perfect it's going to be perfect. much more wait. fun i can't wait well let's uh let's talk to uh these two evil twins uh, partners in crime that put this presentation together for black hat uh it, it's called me and my evil digital twin the psychology of human exploitation by ai assistance and uh, th- there's a lot in there. I'm sure there's a lot outside of what you're presenting as well, leading up to uh, the, the findings and, and the interest, interesting topic that folks are probably just going to f- overspill the room trying to listen to <laughs> on that day. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to get into, into the topic. But before we do that, I think there's a bit of background to cover first, who Ben and Matthew are. Thanks for joining the show. And then... Uh, how you met and what led you to this particular session. So Ben, I'm going to start with you a few, few words about uh, what you've been up to, where you are now, and then over to Matthew and, and then you can kind of both jump into to how you came together for this. Sure. So my background is in applied experimental psychology and industrial engineering. I'm um, depending on which story you tell, either an engineer that walked across to talk to the psychologist or vice versa, which makes me a little weird to both tribes. Um, I've always liked building things. Uh, I did my doctorate. I did my master's in engineering, uh, but my doctorate working with human experimentation. And it, it puts me in a very small tribe of people who really care about the intersection of humans and machines, of which Matt is one. Um, Matt uh, and I met at a conference for people who care about this intersection uh, called the Human Factors and Ergonomics Society. And I was working or had just finished working for the Air Force's 7-Eleventh Human Performance Wing. And I knew what the three-letter agencies looked like because I met a lot of them in that role. And Matt was wearing a a badge that said uh, consultant, if memory serves. Uh, Nice generic suit. And that just looked like a lot of folks I'd met and it was interesting to see somebody at that conference, you know, who would have that interest. That's that's rare anywhere. 
And that started a conversation that I, I think has been going on nearly a decade, if not a little more now. Um, Matt and I have worked together on quite a number of projects in the past at the intersection of neuroscience and, and cybersecurity, at the intersection of um, humans and cybersecurity in many, many contexts. But this moment, I think, is a little different than all the others. We've both been waiting, I think, our whole careers, knowing that it was likely we would live through the moment where uh, socially able technologies got so socially able that uh, the game would change dramatically. And here we are. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I want to hear uh, you, Matthew, but just the, you mentioned neuroscience, and it's easy to forget that behind a lot of what we're going to be talking about is science of the brain. <laughs> as soon as you have an interface like chat GPT, it's easy to forget that, oh yeah, there's human cognitive science in there. So Matthew, uh, your background and, uh, and, and uh, what, you, what you're up to now at the university. Well, and I'm glad that you brought that point up about neuroscience, uh, because when I, so my PhD is in cognitive neuroscience and the very first semester of my program, um, you know, I was expecting something a little bit more like psychology. And instead we were building neural network models of uh, vision systems, uh, human vision systems, trying to model these systems. And so that was my first real exposure to um, AI being used as a description of how human cognition works. And so that's really kind of how I got into the field. And um, then uh, my master's work uh, focused on uh, human interface design. And then um, uh, my doctoral work focused on um, collaboration and online teams. And um, so after I finished my PhD, I, I did a stint with the U.S. government, and uh, at the tail end of my tenure there, I managed a program in emerging technologies where I was exposed to technologies that were new and up and coming from across the spectrum of technologies that you can imagine, everything from biotechnology to wireless to AI. and um, then I got an offer to join the faculty with the Behavioral Cybersecurity Program at uh, University of Central Florida. So I decided to pivot back into academia and I was there um, until about two years ago. And now I full time consult uh, in security and uh, most recently starting to focus in AI security, which is how uh, I relate to this talk. OK, so I'm, I'm going to take it, but I'm going to read. Re refrain myself from going to social here because I know that this is going to be focused on cyber attacks, surface and techniques. But I do have to make a, a note because it's kind of a reflection of what we've been doing as ITSP magazine, where we started with the intersection on society, I mean society and cybersecurity. Then we added technology a few years later because you simply cannot detach the, the three of them together. So as you're describing all this thing, you know, uh, uh, people that are really wanted the machine to start to be uh, more human, even people embedding to these, they're declaring that, oh, I think it's getting sentient. And they're like, yeah, I think you want that. Maybe it's not quite there yet, but um, are, we, are we really there? Are we still in kind of a 
is an illusion that the machine is thinking. Uh, and then we can go on cybersecurity. <laughs> but I need to ask you this, both of you. I start by saying that there are certainly people who are good at projecting the illusion that they're thinking. And that's not even saying that they're not sentient. I'm just saying that that's a common social skill. And, you know, we've all fallen for it. Okay. The other thing that's true is that these things are very good at playing human games. That doesn't mean they're sentient, but it definitely creates uh, an opportunity for us to not even hope that they're sentient, but just feel deeply that they are. Um, humans are filled with, uh, you know, hooks and triggers and switches and levers uh, that, that can be used for manipulation. And we use that with one another all the time. Um, our technology is increasingly able to access all of that. And what we're facing right now is a set of technologies that are startlingly able to do so. So while I don't think it is sentient, I think that uh, the people who have staked their careers on saying it's sentient probably deeply believed that was true. And probably we're going to see a lot more of that. The question of whether something is sentient may be something that's a very abstract philosophical question. The question of whether you think you're talking to something sentient is something that you make a decision about. And I think a lot of people who interact with this technology are making the decision that it is, regardless of the abstractions. Yeah, it's not, not a one or a zero here, Matthew. <laughs> right, well, so our uh, cognitive uh, architecture uh, predisposes us to um, impose sentience or impose um, uh, autonomous or, or uh, uh, what I want to say, um, human-like traits on inanimate objects. And I can remember uh, one time in particular that uh, I had a vehicle, a car that died on me, and I was convinced that that car was deliberately picking the worst time to uh, die on me and, and leave me stranded that it possibly could because it, it certainly optimized for it. But in retrospect, I don't think it did this, you know, in a sentient manner. Um, now, that being said, when we're already predisposed this way and you start to add a few levers to that or you add a few uh, characteristics that sort of nudge us in that direction, then you get a very powerful uh, combination. And then the other thing I think that um, shouldn't be ignored here is that for the last two decades, we've had an industry emerge that is tailoring content to us individually. And what we're seeing now with um, these AI systems is that that is just ramped up by like 10 or 100x. And um, when you look at um, some of the extreme edge cases. There was a case of a gentleman in England who uh, decided to try to assassinate the queen. There was uh, someone else uh, who uh, committed suicide after their therapist convinced, their AI therapist convinced them it might be a good idea. Now, these individuals were probably already predisposed in those directions but the, the interaction with that AI just sort of nudged them a little bit more in the direction that they were already heading. So when I think about the technology part of this, um, two things come to mind. One is scale and time is the other one, where 
if somebody, let's say a bad actor wants to conduct the phishing campaign, they, they might just do a one shot blast it out to as many as they can, um, and see what they get. And, but with something like AI and machines, uh, one, we can reach more people, um, in a more targeted way, but perhaps, and maybe your thoughts on this, um, it doesn't have to be get the action in the one thing that I'm going to deliver. I can build a relationship over time and you may not act. You may not even think it may be it, it just triggering something in the back of your mind that you're not that later you then think about that. And even later you then act on. So I don't know any thoughts on that and obviously connect it to, to your stuff here. Yeah. So about three years ago, I started running into bots uh, that were initiating um, gift card scams. And what we were seeing was real scripted attacks that would go uh, about three to four interactions. And then there was this very distinct switch where you could tell that a human had taken over. And I think, I mean, so what that does for the bad actors is that it allows them to filter out anyone who is not already predisposed to go along with the con, right? And what we're seeing now with um, the emergence of the LLMs is exactly what you said: is that we can have uh, almost an automated, uh, yeah, an automated catfishing scheme where these interactions, instead of uh, three or four exchanges, you could talk about something going on for six, seven months before it actually gets to the meat of, of what the, the aim of that scam is. And I can only, I can only connect this and Ben, I'll let you go in a second, but I can only connect this to another conversation we had also from black hat, uh, from yesterday talking about cookies where it's an identity and your, your session lives on with you for as long as that cookie exists. And in effect, that's, that's your key for uh, the AI interaction, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's going to get a lot stranger, too. Mm. You know, we all lived, uh, I believe, in this room, judging by overall levels of gray. We've lived through a period where the Internet brought forms of fraud that were just previously unimaginable. Um, I watched my older relatives try to grapple with it. And it's interesting because um, my beard is the same shade as theirs was when uh, they were doing that. And and I think there's going to be a whole new wave of things that were previously unimaginable. So while this technology will be great at writing phishing emails, and it is, and there's some wonderful papers and, and blog articles showing how capable it is, it also is going to allow for the type of one-on-one -on -one fraud that is limited by the number of humans who perpetrate that type of fraud right now to become much more ubiquitous. I mean, right now, the number of grifters who could separate you from your life's savings is limited They're just by the population. You know, what percentage are they? Less than five, I hope, <laughs> less than one. Um, but this technology will allow not only the creation of a huge number of human machine relationships, but also the ability to spin up highly talented manipulators, virtual manipulators, in large numbers, the way you might send spam emails. Get weirder, too, because, you know, if you, uh, Marco, decided to turn on me and betray me, 
you and I have many uh, cues socially that we share that might give me a fighting chance of knowing that. I mean, maybe not. I don't know your overall level of, you know, ability to betray. You might he's be pretty, excellent. He's pretty evil. I, 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 I was going to ask. But I mean, regardless, we share a lineage uh, and, 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 and social cues and other things that would give me a chance. Um, with a virtual agent, you feel like you have that. That's that feeling of that, the, the social in, interaction with you. But that, that thing is not what we are in any way. In fact, when you talk with them, it's interesting. I, I don't know who said it, but um, one of the journalists writing about them says like the max slips a little bit and you see the, the insanity of what this thing actually is. I mean, what is it? It's a stochastic model trying to figure out the world through relationships in our language. That's a crazy object. And, and what is true about it also is that it has none of the cues that it might use to tell you that it's been compromised, which can happen instantly. And in that instant, it, you don't need the spam email. The thing that you've built this human trust in that's helping you can very suddenly have motivations that are not your motivations and work against you. And it probably won't be like in Hollywood where the screen will go and, and, you know, its eyes will turn red to give the viewer a nice cue that it's turned evil. It will just very silently and instantly start working against you, even as it helps you in other capacities. So that's a much more interesting threat than a phishing email. And I think we're going to see some really uh, terrifying things happen as people place a lot of trust in these things and learn exactly how much they can work for you and against you simultaneously. So uh, of the two of us, I'm usually the pessimist in the room. <laughs> I'm going to roll reverse. Oh my God, now, now I'm worried. Really <laughs> I must have gotten dark there for a second. <laughs> um, to, to come off of what uh, Ben was saying about the weird. Um, so something that's not talked about as much, but a project that Ben and I are working on is social engineering active defense or SEED. And these things are not only going to be used by malicious actors, right? Because if I know that I'm getting fished by a certain source, I can turn that around and I can act like a willing patsy and just keep them going, you know, down the line and, and um, you know, uh, string them along and waste their time. So I think that's something else that we are going to see if we haven't already seen it is sort of this AI versus AI uh, interaction happening before it even gets to the human. It's one reason we use the moniker digital twin. You know, it's a it's a known phrase in technology. And really, these things get asked to be digital twins for us. You know, you sit down with chat GPT very quickly. You ask it to write an email for you. Right. You ask it to act on your behalf. Talk to me about something in my life. Help me make a decision. Um, what you're asking it to do is act as you. And in that, I think we're going to see a lot of um, machines that are acting as us, interacting with one another in the way that Matt describes. And um, that's going to get pretty exciting at times. I mean, spam filters are a much more boring technology than what is to come, um, which will probably be engaged in wasting one another's cycles to make it too expensive to attack people in terms of just computational time. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. The, uh, the amount of time we're going to have to spend, well, assuming we even twig on it <laughs> the, the 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 amount of spam that i delete and the emails that i delete just one example right if, if 
if it starts to interrupt our daily lives because we're trying to assess and analyze and get rid of junk that we don't want because we asked it to in the first place. Um, the other thing that comes to mind, and we probably don't need to go down this path, but just the idea of um, multiple people and twins coming together. I know, uh, like, uh, I've heard stories about dating apps using using AI to write and, and communicate with others to, to to be a better person in that app, right? For example, uh, could be some interesting things. We'll save a lot of that, I think, for for when Marco has you back. Hopefully he'll invite me. I, I doubt it because he doesn't like me on some of those. But uh, I want to get to your session because uh, I, I think people, well, if they're, if they're already going to Black Hat, they're probably already <laughs> bookmarked this to join you. If they're not, they might want to consider going to Vegas and, and uh, catching this, this session. Give us uh, an overview. Um, I know we've talked a lot about the topic, but give us an overview what people can expect to hear and maybe even see uh, when they when they see you on stage there? Well, I think what we want to do is uh, we are going to talk about LLMs and we do want to talk about some of the technology driving these, but very quickly, we will also want to establish that we are not just talking about LLMs. Uh, I, I think the analogy here is that what we're seeing with LLMs uh, I'm sorry, large language models um, is kind of like for those of us who are great enough to remember the internet before browsers. Um, I think we're seeing kind of like what we saw with the internet before browsers and what the world I think is waiting for right now is the first Netscape navigator to come online, which will be uh, interactive video, interactive uh, voice and sound. And, um, but powered by something like a GPT-5 in the background. And when we have that, um, that's going to obviously change everything. And that's, that's what we're going to be talking about in our, in our talk is what happens when we cross that threshold and also what are the specific human vulnerabilities to that? Because we've already talked about sentience and the predispositions to ascribe sentience uh, attributes to something that obviously isn't. And, uh, and then we've got a few Easter eggs that we'll share that, uh, is probably going to be a little bit disturbing for a few people. I'm, I'm picturing every one of us having our own media enterprise where we have multiple channels creating videos and shows, some, some of it real with us acting, some with our evil twins and evil twin dogs and cats and our friends and family. And uh, I don't know. I mean, Hollywood's yeah. striking about that right now. Right. Yeah. The idea exactly. that you own your identity is, is an interesting idea that might not yeah. last our moment. There's all sorts of types of privacy that have been given up in the last 20 to 30 years in ways that, you know, an 18 year old can't even conceptualize the types yeah. of privacy that existed in the 1980s, for example. But I, I think, um, you know, a lot of what's wrapped up there is all of these assumptions like it'll be me and a system. Well, no, the system is a chunk of code that has many heads and does many things. Your therapist and your financial analyst and your girlfriend and, and your cybersecurity program all rest on the same code base. They're just wearing different faces for you. You take that back another step. <laughs> um, they serve your company. 
everyone in your company has that relationship with that same code base. Take that back a step. They serve your country. U.S. code bases will be different than other code bases. So this, this thing will feel very personal and at the same time will be as distributed as a website, you know? And um, that, I think, leads to a world that's, that's very difficult to conceptualize for many of us who've grown up with types of privacy that are about to vanish. Um, and they're already vanishing. I, I say about to, but this is happening right now. The future, uh, I, I believe. At this point, I'm not worried about privacy. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But I think you Some, might, something uh, acting on my behalf is a little more disturbing, I think. Well, but, but here you are making a podcast with your voice in your face. Right now, you can't imagine a world where you were separated from them and they had intent beyond you. That would be a weird so, thing. I, I usually talk a lot more than this, but I'm thinking so much <laughs> that I'm a little. Um, I mean, I'm watching a movie, many movie put together in my head, like the multiple face, but underneath is the same one acting. And, and I'm thinking this is like one central big computer controlling, you know, a big Jarvish controlling everybody. But without going there, is there. A, a way that you think it can be used to not get there into this dystopia and actually harvest, you know, a little bit of a more utopian future for, for these. And I, I know it always goes on both sides, but when it comes to cybersecurity, again, I'm, I'm trying to start here, all this rush into putting AI in every single product you have in technology powered by AI, you know, powered by Intel not paid for this, but I put it there back in the old days. Um, regulation, legislation, uh, can it help? Do you do you see a way out of an inevitable, dark, very cool future? Well, I'm generally I the optimist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can be, I can be very negative. So oh, yeah, no, no, I, I don't think that this future has to be dystopian at all. Okay, good. And in fact, um, I, wouldn't be working in this space if I thought it was only going to be right. dystopian. Um, I think uh, at this moment, we have a great opportunity to get ahead of this technology and make it less dystopian. And in fact, um, in some ways, uh, there are ut utopian possibilities. There are situations where things right now that are uh, very unevenly distributed, like education and um access to good information and expertise will become far more evenly distributed to, to everyone. And um, I think what is important is to work uh, in good faith to do that. First of all, there's a lot of snake oil and a lot of cash grabs going on right now, and that will be true. But we are very hopeful that um, the community at large feels the sense of responsibility that we do. I think the other thing is it's important to create a conversation with the uh, parts of the scientific community that can help. Um, the idea that algorithmic cyber exists has always been a little weird. You know, um, the, the systems that are uh, code watching code have always had these gray signals that humans had to go in and classify. And and you always need somebody checking the firewall to check the exceptions, right? So, so that sort of mentality gets a lot weirder when the um, 
technologies themselves are intensely social. And we think that a lot of the possibility for a brighter future comes with working with the large body of knowledge we have in psychology, sociology, and social sciences, but also with the sort of human technology fields like UX. Um, UX and AI is going to be a huge thing. <laughs> uh, and also uh, some of the things that you might not never, uh, normally think of that, counseling as a discipline, I think has an enormous amount of relevance in a moment where the technology talks back. And you see that large companies are retaining people who professionally speak to other people to learn how these things should be speaking to us and helping us. Matthew, I want your, your thoughts on this as well. And I want, I want maybe, maybe a couple points if you can include them as you're, as you're describing your view on this. Um, we know we're not good at fixing things before they're a problem. Um, that's why we have a cybersecurity industry that's all about detecting and responding. <laughs> so I'm wondering, do we, do we have and or do we need something along those lines in this world? And then to Ben's point uh, on UX and, and what, what it's doing, do we, do we have and or need something to promote transparency? Those kind of those two things. So let me take those in reverse order. Um, first of all, with the UX side, um, I guess the first thing I would say is, is when people talk about this technology, the first thing that comes up is AGI, artificial general intelligence. And I don't really see that as being the most immediate threat. What I do see as being the most immediate threat, and I mean, I think this is within the next two or three years, is that these technologies are going to fundamentally change how we relate to information. And I don't think we are ready for that. Um, and I don't think there's any way to be, become ready for that, right? Because I don't think we understand how that relationship is going to change. Up to this point, the internet has been kind of the same relationship that we've had with technology, but just more. Uh, it's, it's instantaneous, it's distributed around the world, it's asynchronous, so on and so forth. But the, inter the information itself was fundamentally kind of the same. Um, what's going to change now is that you're not going to, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to, it's, this is difficult to describe because we don't really know what the, what's coming, right? But right now, when you write a document and you interact with Word, Word is still a relatively passive partner in that relationship. And that's going to go away. And it's going to be much more like when I collaborate with Ben and we, we sort of riff off each other's ideas. Right. And so that's, that's coming. Um, now in terms of the not being good about fixing things beforehand, I, I think it's sort of a fundamental law of, of the universe that you can't fix things before they happen. And so I think this is where a lot of the disruption is going to come from is that, um, uh, somebody mentioned regulation earlier. Um, AI is going to disrupt government. I mean, at what point do we really need a human legislature anymore if our digital twin legislature can represent our interests better than the humans? And we have more, and maybe we have more faith in that because we know it can't be bribed 
Uh, it can't be blackmailed because it slept with a prostitute when it shouldn't have. Um, you know, a whole list of things. But us in the security world understand that these things can be compromised all the same. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the perception of them. And so my my concern in that regard is that this is going to be disruptive in ways that we are not going to anticipate. And in terms of an approach to that, I would argue that to a certain extent, we should probably look to nature as a model. Uh, nature is fundamentally anti-fragile. And I think that's the approach that we need to start taking is can we somehow limit the damage that this thing, these things can cause so that we can still experiment and let things fail, but it's not going to be catastrophic and take down the entire global web or something, uh, for example. Yeah. I, I also think it's really important to realize how crucial cybersecurity community is going to be. You know, it's interesting that this is a community that was built around a revolution that was at the time as unimaginable as this one seems now. And you think back to moments like Blackberries taking over our government. That seemed weird and radical at the time and seems kind of quaint now. Um, when you consider the community that exists in, in the cybersecurity profession at large, uh, movements like DevOps uh, and, and sort of the understanding of how to look across an organization and larger organizations of humans and look for the types of risk that exists there to take technology that is unproven and, and red team it and try to figure out how it's going to break people. I mean, it's really interesting and instructive to look at the teams like ours that are red teaming large language models to understand how they're dangerous. We sound like we're at the forefront, but we're using a playbook that's well understood in the cybersecurity community and is, I think, really, really vital to passing through to a future that's, that's not dystopian. And that's a future we really want. And I think a future that... Um, I, as an academic, and, and, and Matt as an entrepreneur, I mean, this is going to be our life's work and the life's work of a lot of other really amazing people in this community who are going to help get us there. I do have faith in that. Nice. And it's going to be weird sometimes. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm picturing the denial of service where, where the, the, the system goes down and you can't do something. I don't know. I don't know. I want to be positive. I'll, I'll, I'll join you. I'll join you in your positivity. <laughs> I, I will be positive about this. Um, I'm grateful that you guys are joining team or joining forces and, and bringing this topic to bear at Black Hat and, and sharing, uh, sharing your thoughts and insight and research and, and other elements, uh, Easter eggs and everything else uh, at Black Hat. It's uh, Thursday, August 10th. Me and my evil digital twin, the psychology of human exploitation by AI assistance. That's a mouthful. I'm sure uh, you had help writing that title, uh, perhaps. <laughs> With some jet GPT. But uh, no, I'm, I'm seriously uh, thankful for what you guys are doing and uh, happy to have you on the show. Looking forward to either hearing or being part of the conversation with Marco as we, as we blow this out uh, psychologically. And, uh, philosophically on the next one but until then uh, 
we'll include a link to your session, links to your profile. Of course, everybody stay tuned. There's lots coming from uh, Black Hat, including the other. We had another talk on LLMs and security. We had a talk on cookies, which I mentioned earlier. So a lot of cool stuff to, uh, to talk about here. And, and uh, hopefully you get a chance to, to see Ben and Matthew. So thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you all. Yeah, thank you. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.